What's up, Dragonfly Nation? It's Chris Gilmore here from chrisoutdoors.ca and episode 34 of the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of tracking and awareness. Some people think of bushcraft as a hobby from the past, but to me, it's a lifestyle and the skills and knowledge are as valuable and as relevant as ever as we navigate this crazy world that we live in. A foundational and often underestimated part of bushcraft and survival is being able to read the landscape and interpret the story being told in nature's tracks, signs, and sounds. Whether that's interpreting the weather based on the clouds or the activity of the birds and insects to know a storm's coming in, or being able to look at a string of tracks or a sign and tell the elaborate story of what happened there. Or it could be reading the landscape to know where to find a certain plant or a tree species that you need for a project or even for survival. So if you're interested in building your confidence, growing your self-reliance, or deepening your knowledge of nature and your connection to the land, Canadian Bushcraft and I may have a great next step for you. It's a training that we call Reading Nature's Forgotten Language, and it's all about helping you deepen your ability to interpret nature's story. We're offering Dragonfly Nation 20% off this training, so if you want to check it out, you can go watch the trailer as well as a few clips from inside the course at www.naturesforgottenlanguage.com. Again, go visit www.naturesforgottenlanguage.com and if you want to join us, enter coupon code DRAGONFLY for 20% off. Being able to read nature's forgotten language will increase your confidence, skills, and it's straight up a ton of fun. To know the landscape is to open up a door To feel deeper connected than you've ever felt before We know that you will love this podcast so shut your mouth and listen to canadian bushcraft hello dragonfly nation this is the canadian bushcraft podcast with your host caleb musgrave and in this episode i am ecstatic because i got a longtime friend of mine chris gilmore here to talk about tracking chris uh we've known each other since 2008 2009 Long while. Yeah, I think about that. About that, yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are Who is Chris Gilmore? Sure. So uh, long story short, uh, I was brought up in the suburbs, but I always uh, had this connection with the land. You know, I, when I was a kid, I dreamed of the idea of growing a big beard. And basically, I watched the show Jeremiah Johnson when Hell I was yeah. like really young. Hell yeah. And then I was just like, okay, that, that, there's my life goal now. You know, <laughs> I want to be Jeremiah Johnson. Definitely. I want to carry a musket, have a big beard, and live in the woods. So I had this ideal dream. Yep. Uh, so, you know, I did all the things, Boy Scouts. I was fortunate my dad used to take me canoe tripping and all that. But uh, as I said, long story short, because of where the world's at right now, and I think our understanding of the natural environment, or maybe I should say lack of, amongst my friends, I kind of was like the outdoors guy and considered the knowledgeable guy. And that kind of went to my head. So I thought I actually knew a lot, you know, because I was the Boy Scout, did all right, these things. Right. And when I was 20, I actually took off to go try and spend a winter by myself in the mountains. Uh, and I was incredibly humbled that year. Uh, Just like know, Jeremiah. <laughs> yeah. So literally my very, so imagine this, I'm living in a little cabin, no electricity, uh, up on the side of this mountain. It's wintertime, very first night in the cabin alone. I light the wood stove and I fill it full of cedar. Now, I don't even know the difference between a cedar and a pine, you know, because amongst the people I hung out with me outdoors, like we went backpacking, we went canoeing, yep. but like nobody like knew about like the different types of trees, let alone that, hey, they actually have different like uh, BTU ratings, like, yep. you know, different trees burn at different heat temperatures, right? Yep. Like that just wasn't stuff that was common in my outdoors friends to like think about nature with that kind of depth. 
So anyways, I stuffed the wood stove full of uh, cedar, light it up. Uh, I'm all like zen out, dreamy, living in the woods. Next thing I know, the entire wood stove is glowing red, oh, including the, the chimney. Oh, man. And I almost burned down my cabin my first night, you know? <laughs> Um, yep. You know, I got lost in the uh, the woods in a snowstorm, uh, barely made it out alive. Uh, so to say the least, I was incredibly humbled and basically realized like, oh my goodness, there's a bit of an illusion that I had created that I was knowledgeable because one, I was going into the woods with all of this gear and two, the bar around me was just, I didn't realize how low it was. So people thought I was knowledgeable. People thought I was an expert mm -hmm. because nobody knew anything, yep. you know? And I don't mean to say that in a way that I'm ripping on people. I just mean, you know, the, the context of our modern world where we're, you know, living in cities and we're removed. We don't have to go harvest our food anymore. Um, we don't have predators on the landscape. We don't have, you know, True. bears and cougars. You know, yeah, you do in some places, but it's not part of your daily thought. Yeah. It's, it's literally just changed who we are as a species and what we think is possible. So this was like a big opening uh, for me. And at the same time, I met a couple mentors at that time that blew my mind, you know. Uh, you know, I remember walking through the woods with a buddy of mine and him just looking at the set of tracks, which I didn't even really see. Uh, and he's like, oh, wow, look at that. It, it looks like a male and a female fox. I think the female's an estrus right now. See how they're like playing and jumping? And I'm like, dude, you just took like a quick skim at a bunch of these like depressions in the ground. I didn't even see them to first place. Sue, I had no idea it was a fox. And you just told me it's a male and a female and the female's an estrus. And it looks like they're like flirting or playing with each other in like a quick glance. And after, you know, spending 20 years in the woods, like I didn't, no one ever showed me, talked to me, saw that stuff. That wasn't part of what I was brought up with, you know? Yeah. Uh, we had another experience when I'm out fishing with a buddy and uh, we're actually sneaking through this piece of land that we're not supposed to be on, um, trying to get to his favorite fishing hole. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden he's like, quick, hide. I'm like, okay, uh, sure. We crash into the bushes or slip into the bushes. And uh, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at him like, why are we hiding? You know, what's going on? Uh, a couple of minutes go by and he's like, shut up, you know, just shut up, just stay there. And sure enough, this lady comes walking down the trail with her dog and they walk right past us. The dog doesn't notice. And then I'm looking at it and I'm like, how did you hear them? Like, there, it was just a lady walking by herself. Like, did you hear the dog? He's like, no, no, I didn't hear them, the birds. He's like, the birds were alarming. And I was just like, mind blowing, you know? Yeah. Again, you know, I'd spent my whole life in the woods and it never occurred to me that Bird like, language. the birds could be telling us about a person five minutes away up the trail mm -hmm. coming towards us. So I basically was really humbled and realized I'd been moving through the woods like a tourist my whole life. And most of my outdoor kind of mentors and people I'd been spending time in the outdoors were all moving like tourists as well. Yep. And I suddenly realized that there's so much more to this whole nature thing than, than, uh, than I knew existed. You know, it was mind blowing. And I basically dedicated the rest of my life to like unveiling that knowledge, uh, this ancient wisdom that, you know, all of our ancestors, no matter where we come from in the world, when we live in a subsistence way, if you imagine living outside 365 days a year, you know, no grocery stores, no pharmacies, no steel, even in certain parts of the world at certain time mm -hmm. periods, like think about how different of a species you would have to be, you know, uh, totally. how different your awareness would be, how different your knowledge would be. Uh, and it basically opened me up to like, there's this language in nature that's happening around us all the time. And even people that spend a lot of door time outdoors don't even know it's there anymore. You know, and I was guilty of that myself. Um, so to answer your question now, uh, that's my passion is, is studying the, the language of nature, the story of nature. So learning to read tracks, signs, clues, piecing yeah. it all together. And I learned a lot of that through practicing survival. And that's how we kind of connected and became friends. Yeah. And then my other passion is uh, turning that door on for other people the same way it was turned on for me. Uh, it's so fun to take people that, you know, consider themselves outdoorsy and show them things right in front of their own eyes that they had no idea was there. I just love watching that and sending them off on this journey of deep connection to the land. 
So Ooh. that that's who I am. And I don't know if that was a nutshell or not. That was maybe. I mean, it was just a little, uh, just a little over five minutes, but that's a good nutshell. <laughs> when you've got as many years as you do under your belt, five minutes is a good nutshell. All right. So I'll take that as a good nutshell. Um, so Chris, I've known since 2008. We met each other unofficially at a, at a Headwaters gathering. I believe it was up in Goodrum. Mm-hmm. I met Lo there, your your wife Laura, and I met uh, a lot of the other people that we all both got real close with. You already were close with them. I met them that time. And then we really didn't start actually getting a chance to talk because you were busy the whole weekend teaching. And I was busy just being a jackass. And uh, it wasn't until like 2011 when I first showed up at the the next Headwaters Gathering I was able to make to over in uh, Kimbercoat, over near Collingwood. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting there and there's all these hippies with their drums. They're doing their Dijambe drum circle stuff and howling like coyotes that have been kicked in the crotch. And I look over and there's this <laughs> one guy who's not part of that. And he's just fleshing away at a fisher pelt. And I'm like, I'm going to go hang out with that guy. And it's like, you're Chris, right? And you're like, yeah, you're Caleb, right? Like, okay, we're going to talk. <laughs> we're going to stay away from all this crazy hippy-dippy stuff that's going on. We're going to go chill over here and talk. And it was like that weekend, I was like, okay, Chris is officially a friend of mine. Awesome. And we've just slowly, the next winter, you came out and helped me set up my very first trap line. Helped me set a bunch of crap up out there in the bush, getting everything figured out. And with your tracking knowledge, helped me set up all my trap line and sure enough almost every trap that you yourself set caught me a fisher caught me five ermine caught me a few flying squirrels oddly enough as well which is kind of a bummer but it was so incredible to see your own knowledge being put to the test on my trap line and me being able to go out every day and check the reward of what your skills were what's interesting there is i had very little i was just starting in my trapping journey and i was so excited to come down and hang out for you because i was learning about how to actually do all these different sets yeah so I was so pumped, but as a as a tracker, you know, it was those those two things just kind of it meshes together so well. so well together, yeah. And so over the years, I've got to see Chris. You've done these amazing journeys of like going down to the states, going down to uh, the American Southwest, learning survival skills from all over the place. And you and Laura, you uh, she runs Muskoka Wild Botanicals up in uh, Dwight area. Yeah, yeah, Wild in, Muskoka we call it. Wild Muskoka. Well, yeah. I keep saying Muskoka Wild. <laughs> wild Muskoka Botanicals. And uh, you yourself, you've actually started up, you've got a few different companies under your belt. Change, uh, Changing World Project is something you've been working on uh, with survival, uh, the Survive the Storm game. We'll be talking about that in a future episode. But also, uh, Nature's Forgotten Language is a program that you've been developing online, mm-hmm. which is a really critical, crucial way to teach right now in the time that we're in. Uh, what is Nature's Forgotten Language? Yeah, so um, I've been trying to find how to effectively connect people to Oh my goodness, I'm stumbling here. It's all um, good. Yeah, so Nature's Forgotten Language. I'm trying to think what was my roots for coming out with this. So I've been teaching in-person classes for quite a long time. And sometimes, in uh, when I'm just like I kind of stumbled here in the interview, uh, sometimes when I'm teaching in person, I miss really key pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was really thinking about, okay, when I take people out, um, you know, I always want to change something afterwards. So I'm like, how can I like really package this and create something that's really accessible so Nature's Forgotten Language was my first attempt at creating an online training experience for folks. Awesome. And really the goal behind it is this idea that there is a language in nature that's being spoken around us all the time. And, um, you know, whether that's bird language, whether that's tracks, signs, whether that's learning to read the weather, yeah, uh, whether that's learning to tell direction uh, by looking at, you know, where the thick side of the bark is on a tree, all these kinds of things. You know, there's a whole storybook of information around us. So Nature's Forgotten Language is my attempt to basically bring that online and make that kind of stuff accessible. 
So we pre-recorded a whole bunch of videos where I was able to like actually script it out and then use professional videography to like capture all the best angles and really make sure I explain things well. But then I pair it up with these like live coaching sessions where we all meet on Zoom. Uh, and then I basically give people challenges to go out and expand their own awareness. So we start off with, uh, you know, the basics of wildlife tracking, but then we get into like understanding the habitat you're in and the ecology of the area there. We talk about expanding your senses and how to move invisibly on the landscape. And really mm. the goal of the course is to help you to start to notice way more, but also piece together all these random things into a living story of the past, the present, and use that to make predictions about the future. Uh, use that to actually inform your next decision in life. Uh, and then one of the other parts of the course is helping people actually see more wildlife and get to know the wildlife and all of the species in their own backyard. So that's kind of the, the nutshell of how what the course is about um, and why I put it together. Uh, so I can kind of bridge the best of both worlds, you know, the in-person with the ability to do fun stuff with cameras and totally. really just dial in on those core pieces that help and people get results fast in their, their personal growth. Because it's taken me you know, 20 years to get to where I am. And I love thinking always about like, well, how can I help people uh, grow these things back quicker, you know? Yeah. And that's the, that's the beauty of like both lines of work that we have is as we were talking about earlier in the day, uh, being the teacher, it's kind of great having all the screw ups happen because you get to explain those screw ups before they happen to the student. The, the as a teacher, as an, as an educator in nature awareness, as well as survival and in general, you and your experience of 20 plus years, you're able to help kind of be stepping stones of like, okay, yeah, you can do it that way, but here's a better, safer route, or here's a more efficient route, or here's what the actual answer is, but I want you to learn this answer. So there's a lot of con like almost like contrary teaching as well as other methods that I've seen you put into action with your students again and again that have been, uh, for me, eye-opening because of me as an educator, seeing how someone else teaches has always been the greatest teaching for me. It's just watching you teach or Laura teach or our friend Alexis teach or Skeet all these people that we both know, when I get to see you guys teach, there's a reason I love hanging around you guys because you make me a better teacher just by watching you work. And there's these like different ways of looking at it, at, at like the land. Uh, the Dobi Johanse over in the Kalahari, uh, some people refer to them as the Bushmen or the San Bushmen, uh, although the Dobi Johanse are separate from the San. Anyways, there's, a, there's this old saying that most trackers have heard at some point or another, like uh, a white man reads the newspaper and that's where they learn it from. And the, the son or the Dobi Johanse go out on the, and look at the dirt and that's their newspaper. And they see everything that happened the night before. And I've heard stories like that when I was younger and I heard all the romanticized like tracker stories of Tom Brown and everybody else. And it wasn't until I started tracking heavily myself that I actually started to be aware. Like this is actually the, this is the reality. I was not like, this just sounded like a romantic knowledge and a romantic story to try and get me to buy into your course. And then I go out and start tracking and learning, like, what is a T-step of an animal where they pause in a certain way? And that's when you got to start, like, that's the window into an animal's soul when you see that T-step happen, which is, uh, for those that aren't understanding, it's basically a, a lowercase T where an animal has paused for a moment. They put their their track their feet down perpendicular, parallel to each other, and then they begin their journey again. What made them stop? What made them pause? And once I learned just that, just that little thing, I was like 19 years old the whole world exploded around me. I started to actually really understand tracks. So since we're talking about it, what is tracking? And how do we, how do we track? How does a human track? 
Yeah, well, when I first started thinking about that, the concept of tracking, you know, it was close to 20 years ago. And originally, I thought probably like maybe some of the people listening to you today, I thought tracking was about finding a footprint on the landscape and saying, okay, who is this animal that made that footprint? Uh, jump forward 20 years, that's literally just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, yeah. And being a tra tracking is everything to me. I mean, tracking is a way of life now for me. And the way that I like to think about it is, you know, as a tracker, you're a storyteller and you're putting together all of the clues around you that tell you about the past, they tell you about the present, and then they like to help you form hypotheses about the future. And yeah. literally, the better you get at that, there's tracks in nature everywhere. So yes, an animal footprint is a track. And yes, there's a wealth of information. And you know, when I first started, it was really cool just to say, oh, cool, you know, that's got five long fingers, it looks like a baby. Oh, it's a raccoon. Like, I thought that was fun in and of itself. It never occurred to me that like, you know, the raccoon might make a t-stop and it stopped. And then you can look even closer and say, oh, it just turned and looked over its left shoulder. Mm -hmm. And then you could actually walk over to the left and like find what it was looking at. Yeah. And suddenly you can piece together this beautiful story of like multiple things interacting on the landscape. And that you was know? my that was my very first time seeing a T-step was with a fox back near my camp, near where you and I set my trap line. Uh, there was snow on the ground and there was a T-step. It was the first time I'd seen one after reading about the T-step. And I was like, okay, let's pause and take a look at this. And the fox, you can see there's a little bit more pressure pushed down on the left side of the left track, meaning it started to look towards its left. And as soon as I looked over to the left, the wind picked up and I saw a bunch of bloody duck feathers from a hunter. Yeah. I was like, okay, they caught wind of that and looked back to check on to see if there was a carcass there or not. Mm -hmm. Okay, this fox is looking for food. I'm starting to understand this more. Yeah. yeah, there's two threads that I want to go down there with with what you just said there. So I want to come back, remind me to come back to the second part of what's tracking beyond an actual footprint. Yeah, uh, but kind of feeding off the thread there. I mean, why I think tracking becomes so valuable and so relevant uh, as we a lot of people walk through the natural world and myself, you know, when I 20 years ago, when I head into the woods, you know, I might notice a couple of tracks on the ground and think, oh, what are those? That's kind of cool. But I would never notice the T-step. Yeah. So to me, it was just like, oh, cool. There's some neat tracks. Oh, they're pretty. Maybe it's a fox. Keep walking. But mm -hmm. as soon as you start noticing those little subtle nuances, like, oh, there's a T-step, then suddenly there's a story there to be told. Yeah. And when you start to read the stories, like, it's so rare that we actually get to watch animals in their natural environment. Very and often true. when we see them, uh, we've spooked them and we're watching them run away or react to us. Yep. But through tracks, we can actually see what their life looks like when there isn't a threat around, when we're not around there. Mm -hmm. And we can read these intricate stories of, you know, how they eat and where do they bed and how do they hunt? And it's all written like a language in the ground, you know? Um, so it, it is so beautiful. And there's applications of that to so many other aspects of life beyond even tracking wildlife. Um, I mean, we can apply that to hunting and trapping, but we can also apply that to our safety. You know, we're out in bear country and to know like, okay, I came across this track and like, was this bear here five minutes ago or five days ago or five weeks ago? Like that's super relevant yep. to clear that up, right? Um, I have a really interesting story of tracking a friend. Uh, I was supposed to meet somebody. It was actually, uh, speaking of hippies, uh, I was at a drum circle. Okay. Uh, and I was supposed to meet them there. It was in the wintertime. And I show up there and I don't see them anywhere. And uh, I go inside and I ask some people, and like, hey, did you see so-and-so? And they're like, oh, yeah, they were here, but they left already. And I thought, oh, that's weird. So I go outside. It's a dark night. Uh, I'm looking around and I basically find her track on the ground. And I knew her tracks because I was super geeky at that time. I knew most of my friend's tracks. Right. Um, so I start following her trail and pretty quickly I realize something's up, you know, she's walking really slow. She's walking kind of duck toed. Um, and all of a sudden she'd stop and she'd look over her shoulder. She'd look up, 
She'd walk a little bit further. She'd kind of walk over to the left. And you could just tell that she was in this really introspective place. Mm. And I, I pretty quickly got the feeling from looking at her footprints that, oh, something's wrong with her mentally. So I trailed her all the way to her house and I knock on the door. Uh, she comes to the door and she says, uh, oh, hey, how you doing? Uh, and I said, oh, what's up? You didn't want to come? And she's like, no, I, I just don't feel like it tonight. I'm just going to go to bed. I said, you okay? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I just didn't want to come. And I basically said, that's bullshit. Like there's, there's something up. And the second I said that, she started crying. Mm. Uh, and so I won't tell the rest of that story because it's For personal. Sure. Uh, but we, I was actually able to notice that there was something up with my friend through her footprint and then be there to support her. So this application of tracking goes in a million different directions. 100%. And, and before I lose the other thread, I wanted to go down. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about footprints as one type of tracks, but you could say a tree is a track, a plant's a track. Yep. You know, this house that Caleb and I are recording in, it's a track of the people that built it and their craftsmanship. Totally. You know, there's a story of their skills as tradesmen. There's also the entire story of Caleb's life in here. You know, and as a tracker, <laughs> I could probably come in here without Caleb and spend an hour here and tell you a lot about Caleb by totally. tracking his house. Uh, you want to think about a tree. You know, a tree can be a track of which way the dominant wind blows from. Mm. It can be a track of where the sun is and tell you direction, right? A tree can be a track of the depth of the water table. It can be a track of whether it's wet or dry soil. It can be a track of a forest fire that burned through there 40 years ago. Uh, it can be a track of the... Um, whether the uh, whether it's going to be a harsh winter or not, right? True. Um, they can be a track of climate change. I don't know if you've been hearing, but there are a lot of the spruces on the southern end of their range have been having bumper seed crops multiple years in a row. Strange. Um, and usually, I forget what it is on spruce, but I want to say it's about a three-year cycle. Like every three right. years, they have a bumper crop, roughly. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you have a couple of years of nothing. And apparently, it's been like year after year of bumper crops. So that's actually a sign of stress. That's mm -hmm. a track of the changing climate. So when we start thinking about tracking that way, you know, tracking is everything. And yeah. as a tracker, you're, it's like Sherlock Holmes. You're piecing together all of those stories uh, and putting them together uh, into information that's really relevant for you and helps you make decisions in an effective way. So you can apply tracking to a footprint, but you can apply, apply, you can apply it as a herbalist, as a forager. You can also apply it like computer programmers. They're trackers. They're tracking yeah. codes. They're tracking totally. ones and zeros and digits, you know? Mm -hmm. So Brilliant. And so for the world of tracking from a nature awareness perspective, who do you think benefits the most? The, like everybody benefits from it. That's the, that's a, a giveaway. Everybody benefits obviously, but who are the ones like if, if we're looking at like all the types of outdoors folk, the sports folks that we're seeing out going outside, is it the hunter? Is it the hiker? Is it the botanist? Is it the plant, the forager? Who do you think is the most susceptible to needing tracking on a frequent basis? I want to say, you know, from a real practicality of a choosing your objective, of course, if you're a hunter, you're a trapper, it's, it's super relevant. You're doing totally. it all the time. Uh, but I would think for even just the recreational outdoors person, it, it's just as relevant. And until you realize what it is, you might not quite understand that. Totally. But tracking will greatly enhance the experiences you have in the outdoors. You'll notice so much more. Uh, you'll probably find yourself needing to travel less and, and actually getting more rich experiences. You'll yep. probably see more wildlife. You'll understand what's going on. And I think why it's really relevant for other people as well is stewardship. You yes. know, and, and part of the something I thought a lot about is, you know, as modern people, if we don't know the subtle nuances of nature stories, how do we know when we're not doing a good job and it's having an impact in nature? Um, trackers. Uh, and people that have a deep nature connection have known about some of the environmental challenges we're seeing 
for a long time. They were catching it long before our modern science was, mm -hmm. you know? So tracking actually allows us to be better stewards because we're able to track the impact of our actions. Yep. And we're also able to track the animals, the ecosystem, the trees to really deeply understand what do they actually need. And interesting enough, when I was in my early 20s, before I kind of got into all this, I was really into the environmental activism scene. For sure. Um, and I actually, so this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but it's related to this piece here. I remember being at a protest uh, for a logging camp out west and getting into an argument with a logger. And he ripped a strip off me and made me sound like a fool because he had a really deep understanding of ecology. He knew how to track. And even though I disagreed with the approach they were taking, in that moment, he, he really put me in my place and made me feel like a fool. And I suddenly realized, like, oh, my goodness, I'm trying to tell this guy how to log the forest when I actually don't really know anything about the forest other than I like it. I think it's pretty. I know it has innate value. Right. So I'm trying to tell this guy how to do the job that actually knows really intricately how the forest works and what animals are there and what all the species are and how they interact. Um, and he made me feel like a total fool. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, well, if I actually care about the earth, how do I actually plan on protecting it? when I don't actually understand how it really works, you know? Totally. Uh, if I just think nature is pretty and enjoyable and something to sit in, well, sure, that's great, but that doesn't actually allow me to be an effective steward of the land. Totally. Uh, and tracking to me is actually the, the gateway and an essential part of stewardship as well and being caretakers. So I wholeheartedly agree. There, there's levels of it where we talk about like the disconnect of the modern person where we want to protect everything and we're saying things like we shouldn't eat meat. And we shouldn't cut fire, we shouldn't burn fire, and we shouldn't cut down the trees, and we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do that. But we don't even fully grasp what that level of intricate involvement of human life and and nature's de destruction and decay and then rebirth from that. From the fact that a boreal forest needs fire or logging to continue the forest growth and development. Or if we want to look at it from a, a different perspective, the fact that indigenous peoples have lived on this land frankly since before there were stories and know the intricacy of like how this environment works and why we can take x amount of lobster mm -hmm. quote unquote about a certain subject going on right now or how many whales we can take or how many caribou we can take or how many birds we can take but they know their limit because they understand that environment that is tracking that's their their livelihood of tracking the the, the fact that the inuit who are explaining to the world decades ago that the ice caps are melting at a rapid pace and nobody was paying attention until 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe, and didn't actually really take it into consideration until Al Gore brought it up. And that was the first time the whole world started to pay attention to it. But the end had been saying it since the sixties and that's tracking. They were aware of their environment to a infinite level and an insurmountable amount of knowledge of about that landscape and they were able to observe through generations how it was changing rapidly and now we're in the situation we're in now mm -hmm. so tracking is much broader than anything that you and i can even even you and i can perceive let alone some of our viewers who maybe this is the first time they've even heard of the subject of tracking so as an educator in nature awareness and of course nature's forgotten language itself the course you teach how would you recommend people get into tracking? How do you start tracking? Even if you can't take a course on the subject, how do you learn to track? Yeah. Well, the big part of tracking is about uh, one pattern recognition. Okay. Um, so being able to notice patterns on the land. And, you know, I tell this story often, but I think it's a really good one to think about how the human brain works. Um, so that first time I told this out with my friend and he saw that string of 
fox tracks. Yeah. Um, the male, the female, and estrus. And I didn't even see them. No. Uh, and I didn't know that there was a story there to be told. Mm-hmm. He took one glance and he had so much information there, right? right. Um, and I just didn't have those search images. And because he has the serpent search image, he has the patterning, it allows him in a glance to just glean so much more information. And I think about this story. I remember driving with my wife one time and seeing a Kia car uh, right. in front of us. And for whatever reason, I just had never noticed Kias before. So we're driving down the road. And I'm like, Lo, what, 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 what the heck is a Kia? Like, is this some like weird imported thing? And she's like, what, what do you mean? What's a Kia? Like, <laughs> she's like, they're everywhere. And I was like, what? I've never seen one before. <laughs> she's like, how have you never seen a Kia before? You know? <laughs> so anyways, like as soon as I saw the Kia, I now had the Kia search image in my brain. Right. And suddenly I saw Kias everywhere I looked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was a real pain in the butt for the next little while. Because every time we drove by like a store that sells Kias, I'd be like, oh, wow, they're really expanding fast. They got a store in Peterborough now too, right? <laughs> and she'd just okay. be like, you, you jerk. <laughs> Um, I love it. But anyway, so the, the question was, you know, getting started in tracking. So mm-hmm. uh, knowing that it's about pattern recognition, uh, and then the other major core component of it is asking questions. I mean, really right. what we want in tracking, you know, our modern Western minds, very commonly, we're so obsessed with wanting answers, especially in this like Google culture where we can just search anything up. Yep. We want to get to an answer. And in tracking, it's not so much about an answer. It's about forming hypotheses. And it's about asking more and more questions that keep you going deeper and help right. your brain develop and help you develop as a person and help you understand life better, help right. you understand yourself better. So really one of the first things you do is you just get out and you start being curious. So you're walking down a trail and you know, um, let's just say you're walking, someone's from the city, you live in Toronto and you're walking down the harbor front there and most people are just walking down the path there, but maybe you look into the woods and you see there's a couple snail shells there. Sure, people walk past snail shells every day, no one thinks anything of it. But you can look down and be like, oh, interesting. Well, there's four or five snail shells there. Are they just like sunbathing? Do snails sunbathe? Well, probably not. Maybe maybe they do. I don't know anything about snails. So then you say, well, what the heck are they doing? So I'm going to just go look at these five snail shells that a thousand other people have walked past. And then you're like, well, are those snails even alive? Okay, well, let's, let's take a look. And I'll pick one up and I'll look inside and be like, oh, oh, they're dead. Okay, there's five. Well, did they all just happen to die here in the same spot? Or did something put them? Oh, maybe something put them here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what put them here? And then it's like, okay, well, can I find any sign of what put them here? And you start looking around. And next thing you know, you're off on some adventure and you've learned so much about this space, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe you found a raccoon or maybe you found a mink there. And this is actually where the mink are, are like coming and eating, you know? They've got a little uh, mid in there or whatever. And uh, here's next thing you know, you're like following this mink trail through the brush. And then maybe you find its home or maybe you actually get to see the mink, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you have this, this piece of land that people have been walking by all day long. Thousands, thousands of them. Yeah. And suddenly you just know that there's this whole world and this whole ecosystem in there because you just asked a question. You said, well, what, what is that? Oh, well, why is it there? Oh, well, why is it like that? And you just kind of keep going with these questions and let it guide your curiosity. So really that's, that's a, that's tracking right there. Yeah. Um, and as I say that, you know, getting a book and footprints, you know, I said trees are tracks, plants are tracks, buildings are tracks. Caleb's house is a track. Footprints really are a great starting point, you know? Um, but what I really encourage you to do is when you go off and look at a footprint, what happens really commonly with the human mind is we really want to take our past, uh, experience and give things names really quickly. Yep. And then we can pat ourselves on the back and feel proud because we're smart, you know? Yep. So I want to go out and say, Oh, this is this. And what I really encourage you to do, forget trying to name who it is. Start with just raw objective data. Okay. I see some depressions in the ground. Oh, some of them are longer and some of them are shorter. Oh, there appears to be five longer ones and then one wide oval one. Okay. 
now I'm going to maybe make some deductions. Say, okay, well, I think those five longer ones, those are fingers probably. And this oval one here, oh, that's probably a heel pad, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like? So start with objective data because what can happen is we start to trick ourselves. And, you know, I got another story here. I teach a lot by stories, as you yeah, can yeah. tell. So uh, search images can be really, really powerful in that they allow us to pick up vast amounts of data, but they can also make us really complacent and be our worst enemy. Yep. So I was teaching a tracking workshop in Algonquin Park one time, and I had done this whole lecture and taught people about, you know, how many toes different animals have on their feet, and the diff- basic search images to look for. And we're out in the woods, and I think we're tracking like a fisher or a mink or an otter, something really cool that I'm really excited about. And one of the students is like, hey, Chris, what's this over here? And I look over, I take one quick glance, and I'm like, oh, it's a snowshoe hare. And then I just kind of like keep on moving. And then he gets down on his hands and knees, he's like, well, I, I clearly see five toes on both the front and back. And I'm like, and then he says, didn't, didn't you tell us that often hairs, now hairs do have five toes, but often they only register four. Yeah. So he says, Did, didn't you tell us that they only register four? And instantly I'm like, oh, shoot, maybe I better go take a second look. So I walk over there and I get down on my hands and knees. And sure enough, there's five toes. And this was actually an otter. And I've tracked a million otters. I've tracked, well, maybe not actually a million, but I've tracked a lot of otters. I've tracked a lot of snowshoe hair. I've never seen an otter make a perfect snowshoe hair track, like the trail whip, the length of the track set, like the registration in the bound. No way. Like it was absolutely looked like a uh, snowshoe hair track, right? Huh. So my past search image, my past life experience makes me look at it and say, okay, I know what that is. I give it a name and I just move on. Mm-hmm. But I was actually wrong. And I go on believing I was right. I give it a name fast. I could pat myself on the back. I told the class what it is. I'll look at me, Chris, I'm the knowledgeable tracker, yep. but I wasn't actually objective in that moment. I didn't actually take in the raw data first. I went straight to my search images. Yep. So tracking actually now begins to start to teach us about our own mind. And this was a huge epiphany for me because what I did after that moment, I mean, that night we kind of, we had an awesome day tracking. I get home that night and I'm like, wow, I just called an otter a snowshoe hare. Like an otter, like big, long animal, like no, nothing similar about them. No, it's a mustelid compared to a legomorph. It's like apples to oranges. Yeah. And I did that in front of my class and I suddenly have this epiphany like, well, where else in life, forget about otters, where else in life do I just take a past search image and put a name on something really quick or make a judgment and think I'm right when I actually wasn't objective, like I was in that moment. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I started realizing I do that in my judgment of people. I do that in my opinions about politics or like different things. Uh, And I do that in observations all the time. And I started teaching you about the way that my mind works and helped me retrain it to actually start to be more objective when I look at situations. Totally. So now this otter and the snowshoe hare are actually teaching me to be a more objective and logical reasoner in life. Um, So tracking, it's just, you know, it's so phenomenal the different directions that it can take us. Um, And back to the, just like, how do you learn to track? Uh, So asking questions. Uh, starting with footprints, grab yourself a field guide, go out with a friend. There's a, the saying that we say that you're always right when you track alone. Yep. Um, because you don't have anyone to challenge you and say like, hey, Chris, uh, you just called this a snowshoe hare, but I see an extra toe in there, you know? Um, so get people and challenge each other on it and say, well, why do you think that is? And then challenge each other to ask better questions, you know, that lead to more questions. Mm-hmm. And be okay with the answer not coming maybe that day or maybe not even knowing, you know? Western people are so want to have answers. And it's kind of cool to have like a mystery and to have things that we just, we honestly just don't know. Yeah. And it, it humbles us, which I think is really good for our egos and really good for um, our mental health. Our mental health. Um, but it also like creates this excitement and this mystery. And like, how cool is it to have a mystery that goes on for days, weeks, months, even years. And then one day you finally answer that question 
it's so much more rewarding than looking something up on Google. Yeah. And I bet you, you've learned way more. Like I can look stuff up. I look stuff up on Google every single day and I've forgotten it a week later. Mm-hmm. But like if I try to seek the answer for something and it takes me weeks or months to it, I, for, I remember that. But I also learned a thousand other things in the quest to find that piece of information. Mm-hmm. Whereas I didn't learn anything by typing something into my search engine and I probably forgot it the next week anyways, you totally. know? So uh, <coughs> yeah, there, there's a few pieces there for helping people to get started on tracking. Definitely. Uh, and I, I dropped a line there when we first started off there, but this course, Nature's Forgotten Language, if anyone's interested in that, you can go to www.naturesforgottenlanguage.com and we're actually offering 20% off for anyone from the Canadian Bushcraft crew. What is it? Dragonfly Nation? Dragonfly Nation. Yeah. So if you put in bushcraft at the checkout um, at naturesforgottenlanguage.com, put in bushcraft, get 20% off that uh, that tracking and nature awareness course. And, you know, we'll teach you about how to read prints. We'll teach you about aging. We'll teach you about how to study and see the ecology and the habitats in your area. We'll teach you about stewardship. We'll teach you about stalking and invisibility. Not stalking in like the sketchy way, like stalking, <laughs> stalking like how animals. To, stalking animals, like how yeah. to move quietly and not necessarily to kill them, although it could be because you're a hunter, but it could be because I want to take uh, photographs of them. It could be because I'm I sure actually did. Yeah, I want to just observe them and learn yeah. from them. Nature, I mean, animals have so much to teach us about life. So that's the essence of what the course is helping you doing. Uh, and 20% off for the Dragonfly Nation. So there, there's crap. there's a couple of free things to get you going there. And then if you want to go a bit deeper with that, uh, then you might want to check out the course. So remember, that's naturesforgottenlanguage.com. And it's a, when you go to the checkout, you put in the code bushcraft, just the word bushcraft. And I want to kind of dial back. We were talking about pattern recognition. That's a really big part for me and my learning experiences. And it transcends beyond, as you said, tracking, but it is still tracking. If a good analogy for those of us that are foragers, how hard is it to find the first morel of the season? Mm-hmm. And as soon as you find that one, they start popping up everywhere around yeah. you because now you have that image in your brain and you're starting to see the pattern of where are they going to grow? What do they look like right now? Yeah. Where are they popping up? What kind of trees are they growing under? And that can transcend into pattern recognition can be transcending into relationships. You're, you're, when your significant other is doing this specific thing at this specific time at this specific day, maybe there's something that's causing this. And you can actually, I've used pattern recognition to help myself understand my wife and understand what's going on in the relationship and what's going on in her life. And it's made me a better husband. And I'm not trying to say that tracking saved my relationship, but it sure as hell helped. And beyond that, we can look at it as towards weather forecasting. As you mentioned earlier, when you start to see the patterns, okay, these clouds are doing this style of, uh, what kind of, what kind of cloud is that? Well, it's seronimbus or it's cumulonimbus. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Okay. Where does this happen? Why would this happen? Why am I going with this? And it can, it just goes and goes. We've had in situations where we were with students and it was a beautiful blue day. Sky was nice and sunny. It was a warm day and we were up in uh, Mantulan Island. And I heard, the first thing I noticed was the smoke of the fire was hanging around and blowing Mm. counterclockwise. I'm like, okay, something's up here. And I started packing up my stuff and making sure it was going to stay dry. And I went over to my wife and tapped her on the shoulder and said, hey, while everyone's doing their stuff, you should put some stuff away. I think a storm's coming in. And I walk over and I tell the elder who's teaching at the time, I just let you know, I think a storm's coming in. He goes, well, it's blue sky and there's a powwow next door and there's beautiful music being playing at the powwow. We're at a culture camp up in Wiki. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, but the cl- the smoke is billowing around the fire and around us and it's a beautiful day. It shouldn't be doing that. And sure enough, off in the distance, like, I mean, like way off in the distance, we just hear like a bit of rolling thunder. Mm-hmm. I like, okay, I'm going to keep packing. You guys don't want to pack, whatever. 
And in about five minutes, the wind picks up. And I look up and the sky's going green. I'm like, okay, that's not a good sign. And I start packing faster, make sure everything's put away. And I go over and I tap them. I'm like, look, the sky's turning green and there's thunder. We got it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're noticing that now. But this has been like 15 minutes. Yeah. 15 minutes. And within three minutes of me telling them, yeah, this is a storm, uh, a microburst tornado came through and ripped the entire pow out of shreds, caused uh, 150 vendors worth of damage. Uh, destroyed two or three different powwow drums and their all their equipment, and it threw two trees into my wife's car while she was in the car. Wow, yeah. Uh, and we would not have been even close to prepared for that if I hadn't noticed just the smoke billowing and a pattern recognition of, oh, when the smoke is hanging low, there's a low-pressure front. Okay, what does that usually mean? Well, there's going to be a weather shift. If it's nice out, that means something bad might be happening. And then just paying attention from there of, okay, I heard thunder and that was not the drums. It was the other direction. Mm. Something's happening here. I got to get ready for it. So pattern recognition and tracking. I was tracking the weather. They, they call it tornado trackers, storm trackers. There's a reason they're called that. You are genuinely tracking the weather and figuring out and forecasting what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so beyond just simply, and as soon as you see things like those oak leaves on the nice big white oaks around us turn upside down, now you know you're you're in for it. <laughs> like the storm is about to hit. And that would have never happened if I had never picked up that knowledge of pattern recognition and observing the environment, checking in what's going on now. That's so, why I called the course Nature's Forgotten Language, because there's just so much information being relayed to us 24-7. And, and, you know, I keep saying, you know, modern people don't notice this. I'm not ripping on modern people because we just, we haven't been mentored in that way. I wasn't mentored in that yeah. way until my twenties. So, you know, if, if this is all new, it's not something to feel ashamed about, Totally. but it's, it's pretty exciting to realize that there's so much around us that most people are just completely clueless is there, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it really has practical applications. I mean, we talked about stewardship before, yep. uh, you just chatted about that, uh, the weather story. So safety is a huge one. And I've got a yeah. similar story. Uh, not looking at the fire, but looking at birds. I was out running a, a program with a group, and it's the like same kind of thing. It's a beautiful sunny day. Uh, the sky is totally still. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. <coughs> and we're hanging out, um, and I'm kind of thinking, I'm trying to remember what time was it. I want to say it was around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, maybe. And usually, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, summertime, it's actually pretty quiet in the forest. You know, birds are kind of going about their day. They're feeding, they're nesting, maybe they're resting. Um and what I'm noticing is that like the birds are incredibly active right now. And I'm hearing a lot of companion calls. I'm hearing a lot of alarm calls. I'm just seeing frantic movement in the forest, but everything else is just calm and still. So I notice, and I pull the group in. I'm like, hey, everyone come in for a second. I'm like, what are you guys noticing on the birds right now? And people are like, oh, I, I didn't really notice anything, you know? Uh, yeah, there's birds around. I'm like, do you think it's any different than it normally would be at this time? And like, well, I don't really know. You know, most people just hadn't really tuned in on it. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, just pay attention to the birds a little bit. So a little bit of time goes by, um, you know, if I want to say it was about an hour or so, and suddenly there's no bird activity. So it's still beautiful, oh. sunny skies, not no wind, no birds at all. So I called the group back in. I'm like, hey, what's going on with the birds? And of course, everyone had forgotten to even be listening to the birds. I'm like, everyone just listen. Oh, th- there, there's no birds. Why aren't the birds singing? I'm like, cool. Just, just pointing out some patterns to you. You know, go back to doing your thing. About 20 minutes after I said that, we basically see this big red pine almost bend over sideways and this massive windstorm comes in. And next thing you know, thunder and lightning and all of this stuff. But those birds hours ahead of time were telling us the storm was coming. And most people just were totally oblivious that these birds were actually telling us a useful piece of information. Um, 
you know, I can share a thing. So we chatted about getting into tracking. Um, but another component of tracking is this idea of natural awareness. Yeah. And I think one of the most powerful concepts in natural awareness is this idea of baseline. So mm. baseline is the idea that uh, everything has kind of a normal way of being. And yep. we can apply baseline to looking at a string of tracks. So Caleb talked about that T-step. So if I'm following a red tail or uh, yeah, red tail fox and they're walking. So how a red tail fox usually walks or they usually trot actually. It's in this uh, pattern we call a diagonal walk. Right. And the back foot superimposes on top of the front foot and you get this diagonal pattern. And it kind of looks like just one track, but they're diagonal from each other, kind of scattered. But it's like actually a zigzag. Yeah, it's a zigzag. That's a better way to describe it. But there's two prints there. So that's the baseline gait of a red tail fox. And if you see a red tail fox moving in that, you're like, okay, that's normal for it, right? What's not normal is in that zigzag for there suddenly to be two tracks side by side. Mm -hmm. So if you know what the baseline is, then you also notice, oh, something's out of baseline. And that's when there's suddenly a story to be told. And that's when things get exciting. So you're following the red tail uh, fox and most people would not notice that one step out of place. But if you notice that and you say, and then now, remember we talked about how do you learn tracking? You ask a question. Well, why is there a track out of place? And you could say, okay, well, is that like uh, a back superimposing in front of a front? Or is that just one track on its own? Oh, that's just one front track. Well, what happened here? Oh, maybe it stopped. And the reason that there's that one track there is it brought its one front foot up beside its other one and stopped. And I could just leave it there. Cool. End of story. Or I could ask another question. I could say, okay, well, why did it stop? Well, can I tell anything else? Like, did, uh, did a car go by? Did it turn its head? And then I get down and say, oh, it turned its head to the left. Well, now I say, well, why did it turn its head to the left? Well, maybe I'm going to go look over to the left. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you unfold this entire story in the landscape. So that's the baseline in the tracks. But that same baseline applies to the weather and it also applies to the birds. And that's how I knew that storm was coming, you know? Yeah. If you think about bird language or bird activity on a normal day, you know, we call it the morning chorus. So just before the sun comes up, you hear a couple birds here and there. Yeah, it's fun to think about what bird in your area is the first. There's usually every area has like the bird or two that sing right before chorus or right before the sun comes up. And then the all the others start right after. Mm -hmm. But anyways, you get this big spike right as the sun comes up. Over the course of the morning, everything kind of calms down significantly as they go about their day, you know, and they're mm -hmm. they're building nests or whatever. It depends what time of year it is. You know, the yeah. baseline's going to change a bit the time of the year. By mid-afternoon, the hottest part of the day, everyone's kind of tired. Everything mellows out. The forest is pretty quiet. Then right before the sun goes down, uh, you get another burst of activity. It's not as strong as the burst in the morning. So you you could literally draw that on a grid and say that's like the baseline of that area. Now, if you notice that there's something off at the baseline, there's a story. So that for me that day, it was like, hey, it should be, it's two o'clock. It, the birds should be pretty quiet right now chilling out. and chilling out. And they're actually really loud and hectic. That tells me something. The opposite would be, okay, it's, you know, six, seven o'clock in the morning, the sun's coming up. It's dead quiet right now. Oh, shoot. You know, that's something you want to pay attention to. And I think a lot of folks might not even notice that there's the morning course isn't happening, you know, yeah. but if you notice a break in the baseline, then that's a really, there's a piece of information for you there that's relevant to your life. And uh, it's going to enhance your, your relationship with the woods as you're able to start to put that together and with life in general. Totally. So baseline, that's a really cool concept for people to start playing around with. Definitely. So people listening in, you could just start saying, you know, a, a neighborhood has a baseline, right? Mm -hmm. Like you go to a busy street in the, in the big city, you know, it's like case, uh, Four o'clock in the morning, it's dead. Five o'clock, you get a couple cars coming into work. By eight o'clock, it's packed. You know, yep. middle of the afternoon, it lets up a little bit. Rush hour, it's packed again. Well, if you're walking down the street at rush hour uh, and there's no cars, 
I'd, I'd be I'd be careful. <laughs> I yeah. get out of there. Something something sketchy is going on right now. You know. Yep. So you could apply it to street. You could say based on like, well, how fast do people usually walk down the street? How uh, do they pay attention? What kind of clothing do people wear in this neighborhood? So a neighborhood would have a baseline. You know, the people would have a baseline. Your your significant other would have a baseline. Mm -hmm. uh, so just start asking questions around baseline in your life, uh, and you're going to learn so much from that about awareness. Um, and, and start putting that together with tracking. And that's a really powerful skill set. Like if you dive in, I guarantee you it'll change your life uh, and your perspective on the world. From a, from a hunting point of view, the first time I really had a good understanding of that baseline was actually the leaves on the ground. Where, uh, where I was hunting was a heavy hardwood forest, a lot of maple, a lot of ash, a lot of oak, a lot of, um, a little bit of walnut, a lot of beech, a lot of beech. And you know how the leaf litter is, you, you know, early fall when the leaves first uh, start dropping the ground right now, it's nice and thick and crunchy and everything. But by about, you know, deer hunting for rifle season, November, you start seeing a real flat, like pot, like the leaves are almost like floor tiles. They're right down. And a friend of mine shot a deer and we tracked him for about 50 yards and then the blood stopped, but it was good blood. Like we found uh, bubbles in it which is usually an indicator you hit the lungs. This deer should be dead somewhere nearby, but we don't even know where to look because it stopped. And there was no real tracks. There was thick, thick, thick leaf litter. And after about 10 minutes of just observing this, uh, the ground, I realized, well, those leaves are po poking up kind of like the Sydney, uh, Sydney Opera House. And I walk over, sure enough, under the leaves, you can see the track. And suddenly now the pattern recognition kicks in. And I start seeing... Little Sydney Opera House, little Sydney Opera House, little clamshell, little clamshell. And in 10 seconds, I was on top of a dead buck. And he's like, how'd you see that? I was like, I just saw the Sydney Opera House. And he's like, what are you, what? It's like, oh yeah, the, the leaves were stuck up in a certain way and that's not how the rest of the forest floor looks. And so that baseline was like, I was like 17, 18 when that happened. And boom, suddenly I was understanding tracking better. Yeah. And another like a uh, baseline, talking about the Fox track, uh, not my own story to tell, it was my wife's. But uh, well, well before we were uh, dating, um, I was a roommate of hers, and she came and she goes, "So you like to track?" I'm like, "Yeah." She goes, "Explain this picture to me." My teacher couldn't explain it to me back back in high school. They had gone to uh, the Kinark Outdoor Ed School. Oh yeah, yeah, I know where that is. And yeah. uh, they had done some tra some wolf tracking, and she had a photo of six tracks of wolf, but they were in a circle. So there was four that were parallel to each other, and then two that were outside of that line, clearly out of the baseline. That's not yeah. how wolves stalk or uh, start walk or track yeah. or anything like that and i'm looking at it and i'm noticing they're all facing the same direction so there it's it's one wolf or two facing the same direction and i just kind of quickly asked so was this mid-february and she's like yeah yeah there was like february like 15th or something it's like wolf mating season and I just kind of walked away. She goes, no, no, what do you mean? He's like, that's not one wolf. She goes, yeah, it's got to be one wolf. I'm like, no, that's a wolf on top of a wolf. <laughs> and only had the two paws down. And she was like, oh, my God. And then she contacted that teacher because she was still in touch with him on uh, social media because he was one of her favorite teachers. He was like, yeah, I remember that. It was a really awkward day trying to pretend I didn't know what happened there. <laughs> I didn't want to explain to a bunch of 15-year-old kids that uh, a bunch of wolves were bumping uglies in the woods around us. <laughs> so just – her, she observed that when she was out doing wolf studies with her teacher and then noticing the baseline and just simply asking what time of year was this? 
-hmm. I was able to kind of get a theory of what happened. And then it was confirmed by the teacher that, yes, the wolves had been mating in the area. And we we came upon it. So she had that question. She was 25, 26 at the time when she asked me this question. And she was 15. So like a decade of like trying to figure out what happened in this picture. So cool. And all the while, she technically had wolf porn. Okay, so we have the baseline, we have the understanding of pattern recognition, we have the understanding of uh, asking questions and keep asking questions and building hypotheses. From there, where else can we go? How do we learn from the track? How do we, how could I tell, if an, how, like, what other things should we know to become good at tracking? What things should we be trying to learn? Awesome, yeah. Yeah, there's so many things. And let, let's focus on wildlife tracks right now. Sure. Um, just to, to kind of keep it simple and on that on that track. Sure. Um, <laughs> So one aspect of tracking would be, you know, the identification of the track itself. The the next question would be like, okay, well, what is that animal actually doing, right? So that's when we get into like interpreting, we call it gates, like the pattern of the tracks left on the ground. So one component of tracking would be like learning to actually interpret the gates, which might tell you like in a gate, it can tell you whether an animal's speeding up, whether it's slowing down, whether it stops, whether it looks over its shoulder, so much information. For me, gates is where it really starts getting exciting. Because it's not just the one track. you got to look at the whole yeah, story. now you're looking at a pattern of tracks. And it literally becomes the forest floor becomes a storybook at that point, you know? Yeah. And you can get this intricate look into the life. And it's so cool. You know, when you first start tracking, like, it's it's this is so foreign. And just figuring out who the animal is is cool. But with time, you get to the point where you can look at a string of tracks and you can literally see the animal eating. <laughs> and that's what happened that day when my friend said, oh, it's a male and a female fox. And she's an estrus. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, jumping over each other right now. Like, just think, how cool is that to be able to look at a string of tracks and literally be able to see the animal moving with intricate detail, you know? So that gate interpretation, that's a big part of it. Uh, Track aging. So the question of when was that track made uh, is a really fun one, you know? (coughs) Was that track made, you know, five minutes ago, five hours ago, five days ago, five weeks ago? Um, But we can apply that to a footprint. We can also apply that to a broken stick. (coughs) Uh, We can apply that to scat, um, to just about anything, right? For a hunter, that would be like, is that an old deer rub or is that a fresh deer yeah. rub? Yeah, yeah, super relevant during the rut season to know mm-hmm. that, you know, or it's very relevant if you're hunting is just like, hey, uh, was this deer here yesterday or was it here five minutes ago? Yep. In leaf debris, that, that's pretty tough, but there's some clues there that you can start to piece together that allow you to do that with quite a bit of accuracy, right? Totally. Um, yeah. And then that kind of leads into trailing. So right. once there's this one part, which is like gathering information from the track, but the other one is like, okay, here's one footprint. There's a living animal that's still attached to this thread of tracks right now. How do you actually follow that track and catch up to that animal and see the animal? So mm. that's what we call the art of trailing, being able to actually follow an animal efficiently through the woods and potentially even gain uh, distance on it. Uh, maybe even get a glance of how it's moving and be able to predict where it's going or what it's doing and be able to cut it off. Uh, so there's a whole art around that. Um, another component of tracking is what we call sign tracking. Um, right. So sign tracking is everything but the footprint, right? So that mm-hmm. could be the antler rub or the the mating marks. It could be the scat. It could be the chew marks. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, amazing enough. Like studying acorns, it with this might sound crazy, but it's not that hard to determine. Was it so? Sure, we found an acorn and something we ate it, but was it a red squirrel or was it a chipmunk or was it a gray squirrel or was it a grackle or, was it a, or a bird or a woodpecker? Like all of those species I just mentioned will all eat an acorn in a different way. Mm-hmm. And you can actually look at an acorn and not only say something ate this acorn, but like what species ate this acorn, right? Um, so we call that sign tracking, like reading all those other things. Um, 
you know, being able to look at trails that have been beaten in the landscape. This is a huge one. If you want to see more wildlife, uh, you want to photograph wildlife, or you want to be a hunter or a trapper, something really important to realize is trails. I like to think about it like uh, humans have roads mm -hmm. and we have like, you know, those gravel side roads. And then we have kind of like the residential roads and then we have like our main roads and then we have like our highways. Yep. Well, the same thing happens with animal trails. So if you want to photograph or, or hunt an animal and you set up on a side road, you can sit there for days and nothing's going to come by. Yep. You want to be set up on the highway because mm -hmm. something comes down the highway every single day in the animal world. Yep. So part of being a tracker is actually learning to look at a trail and determine like, okay, is this a side road or is this a highway? Mm. Uh, that's really relevant information. So those are some of the different pieces there. There's so much to it, though, as I said. There's human tracking, there's animal tracking. And then, of course, we've chatted about applying tracking things like trees, plants, weather, birds, all those other things, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of different realms and directions we can go in the world of tracking um, that really help us grasp the story of life. It, it's such an exciting thing, you know, to dive into. And as I said, it really enhances the experiences that we have outside. And it brings us useful information that makes us more efficient people uh, and potentially keeps us safe. So... Uh, I'll throw out one other piece here and just say that I I think it's really amazing to introduce kids to tracking too. Oh, hell yeah. Um, one, for the nature connection component. Two, for the objective problem solving skills they develop. And with that, I think the development of the human mind, you know, tracking teaches people to ask good questions. Yeah. And if you can teach a kid to ask really good questions, to be curious uh, and to recognize patterns, like they don't need to go to university. They can do whatever they want if they're passionate at that point. Damn you know, um, you know, there's a lot of, I've read a lot of cool articles not arguments, sorry, articles uh, that suggest that, you know, tracking is one of the most ancient sciences on earth 100%. and that tracking actually influenced the evolution of the human brain. Primitive people were starting to, they needed to hunt animals and through reading the tracks, they had to put together complex problems, mm -hmm. which literally trained our brains to see patterns, which actually grew our brains over time, caused different and new neural networks to fire and actually evolved the brain to what it's become today. So tracking is a science uh, totally. that's, that's literally influenced who we are. And so people are natural born trackers. Mm -hmm. And what Chris was saying by primitive people, just to clarify, because we've had the talk <laughs> conversation primitive. Caleb hates this word, I know. The word primitive that he's describing there is proto-humans. So we're talking like Homo habilis, Australopithecus, and all these yes. pro, like the, the hominids before us. The, the, the fact that the human body evolved in an environment where we became the apex predator of almost, well, pre pretty much every continent happened because our ancestors had to learn to read the ground because we did not have the olfactory glands of or the olfactory strength of a, of a wolf or a African hunting dog. And we didn't have the claws and teeth and the sense of uh, the sense of hearing the night vision of the, of the African cats. We had to learn how to walk and read everything in front of us with just our eyes. And then from there, learn to use our ears, learn to use our fingers, learn to use our feet to understand what we're looking at and observing. And then add that to the fact that we're able to basically walk an animal to death is the reason that humans are so damn good at what we do. We are a durable species compared to almost any other species around us. We're very durable animals that can survive in the most harsh environments that no other animal really can thrive in. And that's partially to do with tracking. Mm -hmm. Very much so. So teach your kids to track. You want a genius? Make them track. You want to have a smart kid that's going to be able to understand everything in the world around them without having to listen to news media and listen to their pundits and listen to a bunch of different propaganda, raise them tracking. They're going to observe things and they're going to see patterns 
in politics. They're going to see patterns in science. They're going to see patterns in the environment. And they're going to learn to think objectively about things. Totally. Uh, to recognize their own bias. Because having a bias is a natural thing. Yep. What we want to do is recognize our own bias so that we can kind of separate it from the objective data. Totally. And there's a layer in there with tracking that we can better understand ourselves. Um, I am the most peaceful I am when I track, whether that's for pleasure or the fact that someone bagged a deer and we're trying to find the deer. I am completely in a different set of mind. It's the closest I get. Like I know I'm not a meditator. I'm not someone that goes into um, a meditative state very much, but the closest I've been to Zen is pretty much when I track. And it's one of the most pleasing experiences I have in my life. It keeps me calm. It keeps me happy. It makes me healthy. It's my own exercise every day. I go out with my dog and walk her through the backfields and we see where the deer are moving. We see where the bears have been moving. Last year, I came home uh, from Nova Scotia. I was gone for five days during the hurricane out there. And I came home, my uncle next door said, oh, the squirrels got all the apples out of your apple tree. I'm like, well, hold on. Those, uh, those squirrels, there's only like two or three in the area. And I started walking behind the house and finding applesauce piles all the way yeah. up the road into the back was like, oh, mama bear came by and she ate all the apples out of the tree. And it, was, it wasn't until I was observing and I saw that and I started to feel very calm about it. And it was the most beautiful experience I had coming home was to be like, oh, the bear came by to visit. Hmm. And that's something I hope more people get to experience. Not necessarily a bear. Like you had your own bear experience very recently with a bear coming into your chicken coop. But hmm. uh, to understand your natural world and become part of the natural world. Is really the goal of it all. You know what? And that might be one of the, in the, the context of our modern world, outside of stewardship, that might be one of the most important values that's really needed right now is just literally the sense of communion that you have with the natural world. Totally. Uh, I started off this podcast talking about how uh, for 20 years, up until I was 20, I, I spent a lot of time in the outdoors and I was moving through it like a tourist and I didn't even know. Uh, and I thought that I was kind of connected, but I had no idea what was possible. And through the art of tracking, uh, the relationship that it's allowed me to feel. And now I truly feel at home uh, in the wilderness, you know? Uh, and it's just such a helpful skill set in this kind of chaotic, crazy world. It's so good for my mental health. Uh, it's so good for my enjoyment of life. So I think the communion that you develop through natural awareness and tracking is, is such a, it's a survival skill in and of itself, especially totally. in the context of the modern world. So totally. uh, I think that's a really nice place to actually kind of close out this conversation here. Yeah, there's one last question I have is, how can people like what's some materials that people can learn from are there any books you recommend is there a website you recommend or a teaching oh, yeah. program you recommend well obviously nature's forgotten language well, let's get into that in a moment but are sure. there any books you can think of or any uh suggestions of like educational literature or articles they can find yeah there's so many places to get started there uh, a couple of my favorite uh books to get started with actually you know what a really neat one there's a uh are you filming earlier with uh, Paul Resendez? I was work? just about to ask Paul yeah. Resendez. So Paul Resendez has a great uh, field guide called Tracking in the Art of Seeing where he weaves some cool stories and stuff, but then favorites. also has really good pictures. But he also has a book called The Wild Within. And Not in the upstairs. realm of tracking, um, when we talk about, like Caleb just referenced there a minute ago, like the human development and understanding our own mind and our relationships and our connections, we call that inner tracking. Mm. And tracking wildlife and footprints can actually help us be better inner trackers. And The Wild Within is this beautiful book where Paul Resendez kind of weaves together his crazy story. He was literally a biker that turned into a yoga teacher that turned into like one of the best like wildlife photographers and a phenomenal tracker. Mm. Uh, and he basically weaves together these stories about how tracking wildlife brought him away from being a biker and a gangster 
into being this incredibly connected person. And, and it basically changed his, uh, his, the tracking the outer world helped him change his inner world. So uh, tracking in the, uh, sorry, uh, the wild within, yeah. if you want like a novel to sit down and read that, that tells tracking stories. I and love the power that of inner tracking. Phenomenal. Yeah. And then his other book, Tracking the Art of Seeing, is a great one. Yes. Uh, another author I'm a huge fan of is Mark Elbrock. Uh, E-L-B-R-O-C-H. I'm not familiar with his work. Oh, you haven't seen Mammal Track and Sign? But oh, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Okay. This is like the tracking Bible. Yeah. It's super thick. It's it's fairly expensive and it's so worth it, you know? Yeah. Because um, what you'll find, a lot of the simpler tracking books, like you'll look at a picture and you'll go to the animal and there'll be like a picture of the print and maybe – or sort of there'll be a sketch of the print and maybe one picture. And you look at it and you're like, okay, cool. I know what a, a bobcat track looks like. And then you go into the field and you're like, none of these tracks look like anything in my book, <laughs> you know? Because yep. tracks in the snow, tracks in the mud, tracks in the leaves don't usually look like tracks and pictures. You get the full registered. You get even partial registered. Yeah. What substrate was it made in or soil type? So Mark Elbrock, he'll have a picture. So you'll go to the page on bobcats and there's a picture of a bobcat track in snow. There's a picture in the mud. There's a picture in the leaves. And then he'll have like a picture of like bobcat, uh, uh, scat, but he'll show their scat in the fall when they're eating acorns. And, you know, a scat in the winter when they're eating snowshoe hair and squirrels, mm -hmm. you know, and how the scat actually changes, you know? Yeah, yeah. So he'll go through each one of these animals showing like all of these different examples. And that whole realm I just talked about with gates. So looking at the track patterns, he'll have animals, pictures of animals actually walking in their gait and then lines going from the bottom of their feet to a picture of the track and shows you the pattern. So now you can see, oh, well, this pattern means walking, stalking. This pattern means walking slow. This pattern means walking fast. This pattern means trotting. This pattern means running. And it's mm. all just laid out. So Mark Elbrock, Mammal Track and Sign. Great um, And the Paul Resendez. Those are probably my two favorite uh, tracking ones. Mm -hmm. um and the wild within so that those would be kind of my top resources there for sure i the one i would probably add on to that is uh what the robin knows by uh, oh, john young yeah for bird language for bird specifically language, and yeah. tracking the language of the birds and the, the idea you know a lot of people uh know that okay cool birds sound pretty and oh that's a robin call yeah but what and i knew that you know growing up in the woods i was like okay cool i know that's a robin and that's a chickadee it never occurred to me that that chickadee is actually saying something useful the chickadee's not just making random noise. The chickadee's singing about the weather. The chickadee's singing about the hawk. Uh, mm -hmm. The chickadee's calling to their mate and saying, hey, I just found a worm. Come on over here and share yeah. it with me. Or whatever. Well, actually, that's a bad example. I don't know if chickadees really <laughs> eat worms. But Robin, the, Rob, the robin, though. Yeah, yeah, the robin. So the robin said, hey, I found a worm. Mate. So that there's actually a language that the birds are speaking. And there's actually a science to being able to interpret it to some degree. Um, it's like learning to speak Spanish. You can learn to speak bird. Uh, yeah. to some degree of fluency and what the robin knows by john young is a great one for that really eye-opening for awareness totally and so with that club with that all kind of information packed into your heads hopefully you're gonna be learning more about tracking in your own way one great way to learn about tracking and much more about nature's awareness or nature awareness is naturesforgottenlanguage.com with chris uh gilmore as well as chrisoutdoors.ca yeah that's that's my website um, chrisoutdoors.ca. I'm involved for a round for private mentoring. I also do a lot of consulting in uh, curriculum design. So mm. if you're, you know, if you've got a nature school, you're an outdoor educator, uh, you're a teacher, uh, and you're looking for support for your school or designing curriculum or spaces or whatever, uh, check out Chris, uh, chrisoutdoors.ca. Um, and I might be able to help you out. And remember, 20% off uh, with code bushcraft at naturesforgottenlanguage.com. 
That's a phenomenal offer. I thank you very much for that for our, for our listeners. That's phenomenal, Chris. Thank you so much. We'll have the link for Nature's Forgotten uh, Forgotten Language on our actual podcast. If you go to the podcast information for this episode, you'll find the website. Remember, the code is Bushcraft if you want a 20% discount. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. I want to thank all of you for listening and hopefully getting inspired to get into tracking as well as everything else revolving around nature awareness. I also want to thank, of course, my special guest, Chris Gilmore. This was phenomenal. This was extremely eye-opening for me as well as hopefully for all of you. And, of course, the fact that I was able to get you away from up north in your nice little hobbit hole that you got there. <laughs> thank you so much for coming all the way down just for this episode. Much yeah, so much fun to come hang out with the Dragonfly Nation. <laughs> well, you're a member of it, so you're stuck with us. All right, everybody, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, much love.